Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Daniel. Good morning, WCC. It's good to see everybody. Um, let, let me kind of echo something Daniel said about the Heidelberg Catechism and about the Lord's Prayer. I know if you're not used to it, it is weird saying those long things. I know it's strange. Uh, the early church, though, did that. The church out of the Reformation did that. And that was kind of the normal thing, actually, for most of Christian history. And we believe it's just a part of discipleship. So my prayer is that, that you'll kind of get used to it and, and that it'll, actually the Lord will allow that to sink into your heart. It's part of discipleship and really growing in Him. So I hope you'll, you'll get used to it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we are continuing our study of the parables of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. Last week we looked at the parable of the persistent widow. And uh, Luke tells us in the introduction that, he told, that Jesus told the parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. And not lose heart. And I can tell you this, this uh, for, for me and for many of you, this week has been a difficult one. I know in our random lives, sometimes it's just, you just get close to losing heart. And that's the way I was this week. So I needed to preach that prayer, uh, I mean that sermon to myself this week. Uh, this week we've got the parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Pharisee and the tax collector. This is one of the most famous parables that Jesus taught, and I think it's also one of the most challenging. It's one of, those, one of those parables where the bottom line is Jesus is talking about who is a member of the kingdom of God and who is not. And the answer actually at the end of the parable should surprise us. And I want to say this, one of the dangers of being familiar with a parable like this is that we, we can become a little too familiar with it. And, and the parable really should shock us, but when we're so familiar with the parable, a lot of times it doesn't. So I really want us to see kind of the shocking nature of what Jesus is saying about who is in the kingdom and who's not. All right, so let's read the parable. I'm actually going to read the first verse in the parable. This is Luke 18, 9. I want to read that verse, and, and, then, uh, and then we'll actually go through the parable. So this is Luke 18, verse 9. And he, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So verse 9 is setting the framework for the parable. And I'm actually going to wait to the end of the sermon to talk about this verse because I think it's a good examination verse for us. Okay, So that's the, the framework. Jesus is telling them to, to, to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And then he starts in the parable in verse 10. So let's read verses 10 to 14. Jesus says, Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, 
a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you, this man, he's talking about the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. All right? So let's go through the parable. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So this is the structure of the parable. We see that two men are going up to the temple to pray. They're going up to the temple, the temple in Jerusalem. And it says they're going up to pray. When we think of someone praying, oftentimes we think of private prayer. But the phrase going to the temple to pray, that was a little phrase or euphemism for corporate worship. And corporate worship services happened every day in the temple in Jerusalem. They actually had two times for corporate worship. They had a morning service and they had an evening service. It looks like commentators believe that this is the evening service. Really, it was the afternoon. It was about 3 p.m., 3 in the afternoon. So these two guys, the Pharisee and the tax collector, go up to the temple, to the temple courtyard in Jerusalem. It's a, it was, the temple then was a huge courtyard, like multiple football fields wide. And then you see this big temple in there. And so the priests would be near the temple doing their duties and the people would gather around as they, as they listened to the priests and as they participated in the worship. So when we, so one's a Pharisee and one's a tax collector. When we think of Pharisees, we inevitably think of prideful hypocrites. But at this time, Pharisees were actually admired. Pharisees were the Sunday school teachers. They were the devout ones. They were the deacons, the ones who were always studying their Bibles. So if you can, try to get out of your minds that Pharisees are wicked people. Because at this time, as I said, Pharisees were the most devout, committed people in Israel. Then verse 11. Verse 11, Jesus describes the Pharisee and how he prays. Verse 11 says, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So Jesus says the Pharisee is standing by himself praying. Some people have said that he's praying to himself. I don't think that's correct. It may be, but I think what Jesus is saying is that the Pharisee is standing by himself praying. He is separate. He is apart from the other people. And Pharisees would often do this because they were concerned about being ceremonially clean. They would go through these rituals to become ceremonially clean And they didn't want to touch or be in proximity to ceremonial unclean people, okay? So they would give distance. So Pharisees would often stand apart from other people so they'd remain clean. So this Pharisee is standing by himself. Now, if you you look down at verse 13, this is in contrast to the way the tax collector. Look at verse 13. It says the tax collector was standing far off. So the Pharisee is standing apart from people, but the Pharisee is not standing far off. He's not, what I think that means is the, the tax collector is far off from the temple. He's in the back, but the Pharisee is not far off. I think the Pharisee is up near the front of the temple, but he's separating himself. He's, he's practicing social distancing, okay? So he's, he's giving some space to other people. He's separating himself from these unwashed masses around him. So you got the Pharisee and the tax collector, again, they're at corporate worship on the temple grounds, temple courtyard, and I think it helps to understand the context of what happened during the day, and I've said this before, but I give credit to a guy named Ken Bailey, 
who wrote a number of books on about first century culture in Israel. And this is what I've learned from Bailey and other people. Here's what would happen during the corporate worship in the temple courtyard in Jerusalem. They would have a liturgy. Like we have a liturgy, an order of service. They would have a liturgy. And they would, it would be things like this. There would be these clashing of symbols. There'd be, so try to picture in mind this. There'd be clashing of these big symbols. There'd be these sounds of blasts of trumpets. They would read the Psalms. The priest would read the Psalms. There would be a, like a Levite choir singing some of the Psalms. Um, there would be times when the people would all bow down together. Okay? There were all, priests would also would burn incense as a symbol of prayer rising up to God. So try to picture in your mind the sounds and the smells of the incense and what's happening in front of the temple. Also, and this is very important for this parable, there, there was also an animal sacrifice. There was a, a bull or a goat or a, usually a lamb would be part of the worship service. They would sacrifice an animal. And to try to picture it, I think it's in the book of Leviticus, we get the picture of what would happen oftentimes. The priest many times would take the lamb, like right here, and he would place his hands on the head of the lamb and he would confess the sins of the people over the lamb. And what he's doing is symbolically he's transferring the sins of the people of Israel onto the lamb and then they would kill the lamb. So you see the picture. The picture is the sins of Israel are being placed on this sacrifice and then the sacrifice receives the judgment of God. So that's what's happening in this time right now in the parable. Okay? So that's the context. And says, so it says, go back to verse 11. It says the Pharisee was standing by himself. So they've killed the animal sacrifice. And now would be the time of prayer. That was when the time of prayer after the animal sacrifice. And often during these times of prayer, in fact, I was just talking to a friend. In other cultures, people pray out loud during worship service. And they pray out loud all at the same time. We don't, we're not used to that. It's a little disconcerting sometimes. But that's what they would do in Israel. So when the Pharisee is praying... He is praying out loud. And what we see here when the Pharisee prays, really what he's doing, he's not even praying to God. He's really giving a sermon. <laughs> he's giving a sermon to people around him. He says, thank you, God, that I'm not like these people around me. I'm not like these uh, adulterers, unjust, even this tax collector. Okay? So he is kind of helping these people around him understand what it looks like for a righteous person to live a life devoted to God. He's ostensibly praying, and sometimes we've been in a worship service where it's, someone is supposedly praying, but it's really they're giving out a sermon to, to people around them. So notice how the Pharisee prays in verses 11 and 12. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. I'm going to stop there. So the Pharisee's praying, but notice this. He does not thank God for any gifts God has given him. He doesn't thank God for anything God has done. Instead, he starts talking about how amazing he is. He's saying, thank you, God, for who I am, for my own righteousness, for my own achievements. Thank you that I'm not like other men. And then he uses these words. He says, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. The adulterers, I think he just throws in there for good measure, but the extortioners and unjust, that phrase is really like rogues and swindlers. And what's interesting about that is that phrase of rogues and swindlers or, or 
extortioners and unjust, that was a common phrase used for tax collectors. Tax collectors were considered traitors and to, who took advantage of the people of Israel, and they were considered unjust extortioners. So I think what the Pharisee is doing here is he's directing all these phrases to the tax collector. I think the Pharisee is there, and he's wondering, how did this guy get in here? Why is he here? And he's directing these phrases to the tax collector. And, and as I said, these tax collectors were considered, considered traitors to their own people. They would take advantage, or they were hired guns by Rome to take advantage of the people of Israel. So the Pharisee is saying, thank you, God, that I'm not like that tax collector standing over there. And what's amazing about this parable and just the genius of Jesus is he's teaching us, what he's doing is he is showing the Pharisee's view of the tax collector. He's showing the Pharisee's image of the tax collector. But what we're going to see is that God does not see the tax collector in the same way. And how God sees a person is reality. And in the eyes of God, and this is the kicker at the end of the parable, in the eyes of God... It's the tax collector who's in the kingdom of God, not the Pharisee. The Pharisee thinks he's in the kingdom of God. He thinks the tax collector is dirt, but in God's sight, which is reality, the tax collector's in the kingdom of God, and the Pharisee is not, and the Pharisee doesn't know either one. He doesn't know it. So the Pharisee thanks God that he's not like the tax collector, and then he starts bragging about what he does. He says, I fast twice a week. I fast twice a week. In other places, Jesus talks about the Pharisees, and they fasted. They were, they were meticulous in their fasting, not eating food for a certain amount of time. And what Jesus says about the Pharisees when they fasted is they wanted everybody else to know it. And Jesus says, when you fast, don't do like that. Don't look like you're miserable. But they, the Pharisees wanted everybody else to know that they were fasting. In other words, the Pharisees' motives for fasting was not love for the Lord, it was to impress other people. It was to show their own righteousness. So the Pharisee says here, I fast twice a week. And then he says, I give a tithe of all I get, a tithe, a tenth. So he's saying, not only my income, but everything. I give a tithe, I give a tenth. Now here's the thing that makes this parable so challenging. Fasting and being generous, these are great things because they show that it, this is a sacrificial life devoted to God. These are great things. And that's the challenge of this parable because outwardly, the Pharisee looks like the perfect church member. He's living in conformity to God's word. He tithes. He gives to the work of God's kingdom. We as God's people are called to do this. We're called to give to the work of God's kingdom. He fasts. He lives a sacrificial life. We're called to do the same thing. So the challenging part about the parable is the Pharisee's outward actions look like he's being obedient to God. The problem is God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts. And that, we may instinctively think, yeah, God knows that Pharisee's heart. But God knows my heart too. And he knows your heart too. And that can be scary. And and. What we see is that the outward actions should match what goes on in the inside. The outward actions should match the heart. And Jesus said that Pharisees were like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they look clean and beautiful and pretty. But Jesus said on the inside, they're spiritually dead. 
like a tomb. There's death inside. There's stench. There's rot inside there. And that's what Jesus says about these Pharisees. So the outward actions are supposed to match what goes inside. When you don't have the outward act matching what goes inside, what you have is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And in this parable, the Pharisee reveals his hypocrisy. He reveals his heart by his words. And it sounds like he's being obedient with fasting and tithing, but his words actually reveal that his heart is full of pride. He is full of pride and self-achieved righteousness. He tries to mask it through a thankful prayer to God. But as I said, in his prayer, he doesn't actually thank God for anything. He says, thanks God, you know, quote unquote, thanks God that I'm all this, (laughs) that I'm amazing, that I'm not like other people. It's all directed to himself. It's all directed to his own self-achieved righteousness. All right? That's the Pharisee. Now let's look at the tax collector in verse 13. Verse 13, Jesus says, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Again, he, the, the tax collector is standing far off. Unlike the Pharisee, the Pharisee, I think, was up front near the temple where everybody could see him, but not the tax collector. He's standing far off. He's far away from the temple, far away from the crowd of worshipers. He doesn't want to be seen. He's not trying to put on a show like the Pharisee. He's actually trying to hide out in the back. And the tax collector said, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. Nowadays, when we pray, you ever heard this? Every head bowed and every eye closed. You know, I've I've always wanted to say that. Every head bowed and every eye closed. But back then, they would pray with their hands lifted up and they would have their eyes looking up to heaven. That's the way they would pray. Jesus prayed like that. So that was the custom of the day. And so when the Pharisees pray, he's, he's got his hands up and he's looking up to heaven. But it says the tax collector would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. So he's looking down. Then it says he beat his breast. He beat his chest. He's hitting his chest. It's a picture of a closed fist hitting his chest. And this is important. Because back then when people beat their chest, almost all the time it was women. It was women who were showing lots of emotion. Men basically never beat their chest unless it was an extreme time of anguish. So when the tax collector is beating his chest, he's symbolically saying this. He's saying, my heart is deceitful. He's saying, my heart is wicked and it needs to be punished. He's he's inflicting self-punishment on his heart, which is wicked. So, and this is even before the tax collector says a word, we see the type of remorse, we see the type of repentance that the tax collector has. He's beating his heart. He's punishing his heart. This is an example of extreme sorrow and anguish over sin. And then when we finally get to the tax collector's words... His prayer is a lot different from the Pharisees. The Pharisees' thoughts are not on God. (laughs) Really, the Pharisees' thoughts are fixed on himself in comparison to other people. Thank you, God, I'm not like these other wicked people around me, especially the filthy tax collector. So the Pharisees' thoughts are on his own exalted self. He's lifting himself up and how wonderful he is compared to other people. But look at the way the tax collector prays. He's beating his chest He couldn't even look up to heaven. And he doesn't mention anybody else. He doesn't mention another person in his prayer, unlike the Pharisee. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's his entire prayer. That's it. He's only thinking about his own sinfulness and God. That's it. Now, my translation, I've got the ESV, the English Standard Version. My translation says, as I said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Yours may have something different. This translation is not actually a good translation of what is being said right here. If you look, look, look in Luke 18, flip over to Luke 18, uh, 38. This is probably one page over. Luke 18, verse 38, and you'll see something very similar. Luke 18, 38. This is the account of the blind man near Jericho. And he cries out to Jesus in verse 38. He said, he said Jesus, son of David. And look what he says. He says, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. The tax collector says, be merciful to me. So that sounds like the same thing, right? Sounds very similar. But actually, they're completely different Greek words. What the tax collector is saying is not actually be merciful to me. What he's saying is this, God, be propitious to me. Be propitious to me. Now, what does propitious mean or what is propitiation? I try to avoid, honestly, big theological words because I think it just causes confusion most of the time. But you need to know what propitiation means. And here's the idea of propitiation. If you can't remember the word, know the idea. It's this, it's God's wrath should be coming to me because of my sin. But God's wrath is turned aside. It's God's wrath should come on me because of my sin, but God's wrath is turned aside on a sacrifice, on a substitute. Okay? So that's what propitiation means. We actually saw it this morning in our assurance of pardon in Romans 3. It said, Romans 3.25 said, God put forward Jesus as a propitiation. There's only a handful of times in the Bible that uses the word propitiation. One of them here is in here in Luke 18, when the tax collector says be propitious. And the other, one of the other times is Romans 3.25, when it says that God put forward Jesus as a propitiation. So the picture is, propitiation is God's wrath should come on me, but it's being turned aside. It's being poured out on a sacrifice. So what the tax collector is really saying is God be propitious to me, He's saying, God, allow your... He says, I know I deserve your judgment, God. But allow your wrath to fall on a sacrifice, on a substitute. As I said, the tax collector is not thinking about anybody else. The tax collector is only thinking about God and his holiness and his judgment. And the tax collector is thinking about his own sinfulness. He realizes that he is exposed before God. That God sees it all. God sees it all. It's like he is alone with God and there's nobody else around. The picture I have is, imagine being in a desert where you can see hundreds of miles around. And it's you standing there and God on his throne and he sees who you are. That's the way the tax collector feels right now. He's not mentioning anybody else. And he's saying, God be propitious to me. Make your wrath fall on a substitute, on a sacrifice. And you remember the context of the corporate worship at the temple. You remember what I was saying? When this time of prayer happened, they've just killed the sacrificial lamb. They've just killed the sacrificial lamb. Now it's the time of prayer. And I think what the tax collector is saying is this. 
I think he's saying, oh God, I know the blood of bulls and goats can't take away my sin. I know that animal up there that was just killed can't truly take away my sin. If it could, we wouldn't have to do this every day. We wouldn't have to do this multiple times a day, day after day, year after year. That animal I know can't take away my sin. But I think the tax collector is saying this, God, could you, would you provide a sacrifice for me? Would you? Could your judgment fall on a substitute that would actually take away my sin? That would actually take away the judgment? Propitiation on a sacrifice. He's saying, Lord, be propitious to me. And I think what Jesus is doing in a subtle way in this parable is pointing forward to his own sacrifice. His own sacrifice that would take place a short time later right there in Jerusalem. And get this, Jesus died at the exact hour that the lamb was sacrificed on Passover at 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock in the afternoon when Jesus died on the cross. It's the exact moment in the temple that the sacrificial lamb was dying as a substitute for the people symbolically. Jesus is the true lamb of God who really does take away the sin of the world. And the wrath fell on Jesus. It was propitiation while he was on the cross. It's appeasement of God's wrath. And this is what happens when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And he is our only hope. He's our only hope. This this is the good news. This is the gospel, that Jesus is our propitiation. So the tax collector says, God, be propitious to me, the sinner. I think this is important too. I think he says, the sinner. Again, if you want to be a goofy Greek guy like me, you can see this is a Greek definite article. Sometimes it's a, but usually it means the. And I think in this case, the tax collector is saying, the sinner. Again, he's not thinking about anybody else's sin. He doesn't think there's any other sinner in the world because he's not thinking about him. He's saying, be be propitious to me, the sinner. Everything else in his mind has just faded. Everything around him has dimmed. It's just him and God. I think that's what he's thinking. And then Jesus gives us, in verse 14, he gives us the shocking conclusion to the parable. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man... The tax collector, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So Jesus says the tax collector was justified, not the Pharisee. And Jesus uses the word justified, and justified, ironically, also is in our assurance of pardon from Romans 3. And justified means this, that God declares a person to be righteous. It doesn't mean that God makes a person righteous. When, when, when Jesus says the tax collector is justified, it doesn't mean he's perfectly sinless. But it means in God's sight, he is sinless. He has been declared to be righteous. So it's like a judge pronouncing someone not guilty. That's what it's like. So remember the Pharisee and tax collector went up to the temple. Then after the worship, the two of them went down. And Jesus says when they went back to their own houses, only the tax collector was justified. So in the sight of God, the tax collector was righteous. Why? Because of the propitiation. Because of the sacrifice. Because the tax collector is, I think, is looking forward to the Messiah who would be his ultimate propitiation. And then Jesus concludes the parable by saying, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And here's the idea of exaltation in this context. To be truly exalted by God, that means God is up here. To be truly exalted by God, that means he's lifting you up to be with him. 
to be in fellowship with Him, to be loved by Him. That's truly exalted. God's up and He brings the humble up with Him. So what Jesus is saying is the one who exalts himself, who makes much of himself, like the Pharisee, he's going to be humbled. He's not going to be with God. He's not loved by God. But Jesus says the one who humbles himself, who doesn't trust in his own righteousness, who repents of his sin, who seeds his need for propitiation, for a sacrifice, like the tax collector, the one who humbles himself, he's going to be the one who's exalted by God, lifted up into fellowship with God justified, saved. All right, so that's the parable. I want to conclude by looking back at actually the beginning of the parable in verse 9. Let's look back at verse 9. It says, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So I want us to think about this, these two things that he's talking about. He's directing the parable at people who do two things. This is a good examination for us. The two things are, one, people who trust in themselves that they're righteous. That's self-righteousness and pride. Self-righteousness and pride. That's one. And the other is people who treat others with contempt. People who look down on others, despise others. So these are the two indicators of a hypocritical Pharisee. Self-righteousness and pride and contempt for others. Remember, the Pharisee is proud of himself, of his self-achieved righteousness. He's exalting himself, not God. So he's proud, self-righteous. Also, he despises others. That's how Luke introduces the parable. It's directed at people who are self-righteous and proud and who have contempt for others. And the dangerous part, dangerous part for people, even followers of Jesus, is we can do the same thing and not realize it. You ever said this? You ever said this? But for the grace of God, go I. But for the grace of God, go I. We think, look at that dude over there. He's terrible. His life is a wreck. He's doing all these awful things. He's on drugs or whatever. And we can look on him with contempt. We can look down on him and say, but for the grace of God, go I. If we have contempt for others, if we look down on others, we're doing the same thing as the Pharisee. We're doing the same thing. I don't know if you notice, when we put ourselves in the parable, this is what we do. We all think we're the tax collector. (laughs) We're all the, the honest, unhypocritical tax collector. But oftentimes, we're the Pharisee. We're the Pharisee. What Jesus is teaching us is that in all of us, just beneath the surface, there is pride and self-righteousness. Just beneath the surface, there's self-congratulations. There's self-exaltation. There is a tendency to compare ourselves to others and to look down on others. And here's the scary part. This is what I've noticed too. If you can't see that in yourself at all, if you can't see that pride and self-exaltation in yourself at all, and if you don't feel any remorse about it at all, then the odds are you're really a Pharisee. You're really a Pharisee. I've seen countless people who are proud, exalting themselves, looking down on others, and not one of them has been able to see that they're Pharisees. They all deny it. And they're not concerned about it at all, just like the Pharisee in the story. He's not concerned about it. He's not worried at all. He's absolutely confident that he's right with God. He doesn't see his pride and self-exaltation 
at all. And that's the way I've noticed about Pharisees. They all deny it. They're just not concerned about it. And you know what? God is not amused. God is not pleased. He sees our heart in this, and he's not amused. Remember Luke's introduction, self-righteousness and pride, okay? Contempt for others, looking down on others. As I said, when, when you see this, when you see these two things, when you see these two things in yourself, you know you've got a Pharisee. And as I said, we all have a tendency to do this. And here's the hard part too, and this is the probing nature, the genius of Jesus' parable. This type of self-righteous attitude isn't just confined to moralistic legalistic religious people the pharisee attitude can show up in all forms if you look for it you can see it every single day i promise pride self-righteousness and contempt for others how about this i'm about to wrap up but how about this the conservative pharisee the conservative non-religious pharisee see if this rings a bell he he says this non-religious but conservative but he's a pharisee I'm so thankful I'm not like those liberals who are ruining our country. I'm hardworking. I'm not sitting around drawing unemployment. I respect others. I say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and I'm proud to be an American. Does that sound familiar? There it is, conservative, non-religious Pharisee. It's all there, self-righteousness and pride and contempt for others. And that's what the the parable is directed at. And, And we all have a tendency to do this, don't we? I know I do. How about this? How about the liberal Pharisee? And I can speak from experience. As a former liberal, liberal, as a former anti-Christian liberal, I can tell you liberals can be some of the worst Pharisees around. Listen to this. How about this? I'm so thankful I'm not like those judgmental conservative Christians. I'm accepting of all kinds of people, gay, straight, trans. I'm a member of PETA. I care for the environment. I recycle twice a week, and I drive an electric car. Right? There it is. That's the liberal Pharisee. It's it's full of self-righteousness and pride, despising others. And we see it around us every day. Conservative, liberal, religious, non-religious, Pharisees are everywhere, including us, including in the mirror. So when you see those things, whether a person is a Christian or not, when you see those markers, self-righteousness and contempt for others, you're looking at a Pharisee. And as I said, guess what? When, when God sees this self-righteousness and this contempt for others, when he sees that, he is not amused. He's not pleased. As followers of Jesus, this is a challenge for us because if we have contempt for others, no matter who they are, if we have contempt for others, even if we have contempt for legalists and Pharisees, If we have contempt for these folks, then we're showing that we're actually Pharisees ourselves. And that's the irony and the genius of Jesus' parable. If we think, thank you, God, that I'm not like that Pharisee, right? Thank you, God, I'm not like that Pharisee. If we think like that, it shows we're actually being self-righteous Pharisees, even as we condemn Pharisees. And God's not amused. So my prayer is, and this is the hard part about preaching, I've said this before, I want to be gentle for those who are discouraged and beaten down. I want, and I want you to sense God's gentleness and love. I want that. But the hard part about preaching is there are also hard-hearted people who need to know that a holy God is not happy. And that's the difficult part about preaching.
So my prayer for us as a church, my prayer for all you guys, is that the Lord would forgive us when we are arrogant and full of contempt. He'd forgive us and that he would change us. That we would repent of our pride and our our despising and looking down on others. My prayer is that God would make us less self-righteous and more loving and humble and welcoming and hospitable to others, to everybody. May we constantly look also, ultimately, the gospel. May we constantly look to the Lord Jesus, our propitiation. May we find in him, may he be our all and all. The Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we love you and praise you. Jesus, thank you for this parable. I do pray, Lord, that for all of us, I know we all have a tendency to be arrogant and to have contempt toward others, and you know our hearts, and you're not pleased with that. So we pray that you would help us to repent of that, that we would be people who are caring and loving and and want to exalt you and not ourselves and want to look for ways to care for other people instead of despising them so god help us in that jesus thank you for being our the lamb thank you jesus for going to the cross you didn't have to do that but you went to the cross and you took upon yourself the the wrath that should have come to us you're our propitiation and we praise you for that help us to never take that for granted we love you We love you and praise you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.